Welcome to the Food Grower Podcast, the podcast that tells the story, highlights the techniques and talks tactics with food growers from all around the world. From market gardeners to allotment holders, field farmers to urban farmers, we want this podcast to inspire you to grow food or help you on your already existing food empire. I'm Chris from Fanfield Farm. I'm Jack from Jack's Patch. It's our absolute pleasure this week to welcome to the podcast, Tim Dickens from the Community Supported Agriculture Network. Tim is an organic grower and farmer himself too at Teen Greens in Devon. Tim, welcome to the podcast, mate. How's your day been? Thank you very much, guys. Uh, it's been a great day. Yeah, I've been with my Teen Greens hat on out in the field, enjoying a little bit of warm and dry <laughs> and uh, realising how much weeding we've got. So we've been attacking our carrots and parsnips and trying to make a dent in the weeds. Um, that and a bit of harvesting for, uh, for a local... Uh, chef who's just started getting our stuff for a pop-up kind of meal thing he's doing so yeah enjoying the sunshine finally it's here it's been a bit wet hasn't it <laughs> we'll definitely come on to uh, team greens like later on in a podcast but we want to focus on what csa means and uh, just explain to everyone listening the incredible work you do great yeah so csa that community supported agriculture it's kind of tricky because it's it doesn't immediately say what it is uh, and it's slightly complicated. So kind of my, my job for the, for the CSA Network UK is to kind of communicate what it is and, and how we can support farms and other people to kind of connect with farms. Um, I guess fundamentally, CSA is a model of farming that kind of connects producers with the people that eat the food um, and enables kind of farmers to share the risks and reward of small-scale farming. Like you guys would both know, how hard it is to grow vegetables on a commercial scale and how risky it is, especially when you have a season like this one where stuff fails and everything else. Um, and CSA is a model where you can kind of share that risk with your consumer. Uh, and you do that. That One of those reasons is, is, is one of those ways is by the consumer or kind of customer signing up to be a member and kind of committing to a period of time. It might be a season, it might be a year, of that reg so you kind of know that that income is coming in every week or every month and you can plan the season ahead of you and we ask our members to sign up to kind of our principles and our charter as a csa network uh, and those are uh, one that you farm agroecologically so like regenerative farming and uh, it doesn't have to be organic but it does need to be like what we call agroecological and you guys kind of know what that means i think you guys do it yourselves it's where farming in harmony with nature without chemicals without nasties uh, in a way that kind of builds soil health and builds biodiversity instead of harming it. It's also, by its nature, it's kind of hyper-local. So we all, as CSAs, we sell to our local communities. Chris, I know you, you've got a great thing going down there and you've built something amazing around your community and we're trying to do similar things here. And all over the country, we've got CSAs who are connecting with their communities. It's more than just like, here's some veg, take it home and cook it. It's most CSAs, or in fact, all CSAs who are members of ours have members who are volunteers who come to the farm when they can. Sometimes it's every week, sometimes it's once a year, but to get involved in harvesting their food, in weeding their food, to understand kind of, yeah, to have that connection with food production that we seem to have lost in our society and our culture. Um, so that's another element of it. You spoke about some of the benefits there for like both the farmer and the consumer rather than the other models of us being called like a wholesale uh, veg business or like veg box where it's like pick your own. It seems to benefit the farmer and also the consumer. So um, yeah, just explain a little bit more about the benefits as well. Yeah, definitely. The benefits for the farmer, there's there's so many. Um, So like I guess compared to trying to do for wholesale um, I would say there are a lot of farms and a lot of people listening to this who maybe have a CSA scheme alongside doing some wholesale and both bits work for them Mm. but uh, the the beauty of the CSA model is you kind of know exactly what your market is before you've harvested it before you've even sown the seeds you know how many people you're growing for so if you've got 100 people who are members you know that each week you need to fill those 100 boxes or bags with, with fresh pupil veg and none of that's going to waste. Um, and I guess the difference is, as you, you, you guys know, when you go to a market stall and you harvest for that, you can maybe 
charge a little bit more than it would be in, in CSA share. But if it's a rainy day and no one comes out, you're then putting that all back in the van and bringing it home. And it may well be going on the compost. Um, with the CSA model, I love the fact that actually, you know, that, um, that it's all going to get used. Everything you harvest has a home and it's going to be enjoyed by local people, you know, at home cooking healthy veg. With, with a CSA, usually your members or customers, they get a share of the harvest. So especially like its origins in the US in like the 80s, it was um, people would get a share of the harvest. So if you have like a big crop and your sweet corn's going amazing, everyone gets loads of sweet corn. And if mm. you have a bad year, um, then you might not get so much in your veg bag. You know, I know 2012 in this country, it rained the whole season. We think this, this year's bad and that it's terrible then. Um, and so the members of a lot of CSAs didn't get a lot in their bag, um, but they were supporting the farmer to keep going. And then that farmer, as a result, rather than going bust or whatever, could come back the next year, bounce back. They might lose a few members who couldn't quite hack it. But then the next year, the weather was much better and people might have got like loads more value out of their veg bag or veg box than they did before. I, I kind of calculate my farm now by the veg boxes. So obviously that, that's such a good, important thing that people need to know is that it is the, the waste situation. So I'm calculating that bed's going to, I need like 40 bunches of radish from that bed and, and it kind of categorizes your farm. So you're like, yeah, 40 for there, 40 for there. I think it's just easier to go around that way. And then also luckily I've got chefs now that I feel since, um, since the last year, they've kind of pandered towards whatever else you've got just send it to me. So I kind of do my uh, boxes, I have my market, but then any waste for me, they seem to take, which is great. Um, but yeah, it has really helped with my, my growing, uh, having, doing the box scheme for sure, just cause it, I just, I just like the setup so much better. Yeah, I agree with you there, like with my Team Green CSA hat on. Right, I love, I, I know that like 10 meters of harvesting that bed will be the amount that we need for the boxes that week and that makes planning so much easier yeah just kind of yeah work that way as we're going through um, yeah i mean we've been a, at fanfield we've been a csa since day one when we set up the site here and um i think you you mentioned it there tim one of our biggest loves is, is just the lack of food waste that comes off of it i mean this morning it was our box day this morning we did 60 this morning and we found we just didn't have that many french beans well, i was glad to have any considering the rain and the slugs but it was just enough to put like a a small handful in each box but our customers understood that they really understand why it goes in the email that goes out to share the harvest it was just a handful this morning but we're pleased that we've got any um and they really understand that and they get behind that because of the way that that we're set up as a csa and i think that that really highlights something that i think is really important is that, that you have a much more special relationship with your customers so to speak or or whatever you label them not necessarily customers but it's a much more special relationship than a sort of standard transactional supermarket relationship isn't it yeah exactly i think that's bang on and that's what the the csa model offers is, is having that relationship and because people have that connection with their food because they come down and help you weed <laughs> or mm. just through reading the weekly newsletters they get with their veg or or on email they understand exactly what you say with those beans. You're like, oh yeah, the slugs eat most of them. So they're like, they, they really don't mind. And they know that next week there might be a bumper, you know, the tomatoes might go mad and they'll get a kilo of tomatoes and, and they really don't mind. And that wouldn't happen. There's very few other models where that would work, even with some of the uh, high end sort of big scale organic veg box companies who I won't name, but uh, <laughs> they aren't a million miles away from us, they're HQ. Um, they're doing good stuff and it's sustainably grown veg, but they're never going to have that connection that we have, for example, with someone who lives uh, in the next village along and they understand that and they understand the difficulties um, and they, and they enjoy that, you know, it's important to tell people as well, what you said through the uh, newsletter, like being a real part of it, which are absolutely, I, I think it's so important that being transparent as well. And sometimes even through social media, I, I kind of, uh, show myself harvesting the crops as well and they absolutely love it because they know that that's as fresh as it's going to be it's going straight in your box um yeah and they absolutely love it um so tim do you have any tips for setting up a, a csa for any new aspiring farmers 
Yeah, great question. The first tip I would say is get in touch with us at the CSA Network. <laughs> Drop us a line. <laughs> Join up. I think it's 25 quid um, if you're a starter farm or with under 50 customers or members. Um, and we basically then, it opens up loads of resources to anyone starting up. We can kind of offer mentoring. Uh, we offer kind of, you know, you'll get a handbook in the post, which sort of goes through everything you might need. Um, so that's your first call, Jack, definitely. <laughs> Other than that, I think, yeah, it's, it's identifying where you're going to do it and how you're going to do it. Uh, we all know here, like, it's really hard work, um, every element of it. Mm. And, and yeah not just growing the veg it's finding the land it's then marketing it it's um yeah it, it's everything so there's loads to think of um so y- y- finding someone who's done it before who's happy to help you out either through a formal mentoring or just kind of volunteering on on farms like um like fanfield farm or jack's patch um really it's done his homework <laughs> that's it i mean really yeah that's that's a great way so i would say join the network or if not just volunteer get involved i know personally as, as someone who set up csa in the last year or so i spent about a year traveling around volunteering just seeing other people doing it talking to other people how do you do this what's your advice filling a notebook after notebook of of ideas um so that's yeah i could go into more detail but uh I won't, I won't bore people now. There's lots of kind of <laughs> technical things that you might not think about, like what way your land should slope and um, and that sort of thing. But doing that, yeah, land also identifying your market too. So it might be, um, yeah, you want to do it in an area that you think enough people are going to sign up to your veg. Uh, I've just been listening to uh, Lawrence at Soul Farm last week uh, on your podcast and. I love that there there's kind of a big community around in like Falmouth and around. Um, and the fact that there are enough people who are happy even to pay a bit more on the sliding scale that actually supports those kind of solidarity boxes for people who otherwise couldn't afford it. So I, I think that's it. Yeah. If you, if you go and set up a CSA and there's no one around for miles and miles and miles, you might struggle to kind of reach the membership. Numbers and then. Yeah. I mean, you, you spoke about some really important things there that, that the CSA offers. There's mentorship schemes. Um, there's the A to Z um, guide isn't there for setting up. So yeah, we won't get you to go too much in detail because you'll be giving it away for free. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, just to clarify, that's £25 a year, isn't it? Which really is a drop in the ocean when you think about it. It is. I think so. Yeah. And even the handbook, it's the A to Z. I think we're changing it at the moment. We're just redesigning it as a handbook because the A to Z didn't quite work so well um but uh that is on its own it's worth about 25 quid so yeah it's really worth uh, signing up brilliant and then the volunteering as well that's exactly what we did we went and, and worked around different farms well even just in we didn't have a whole year to do it but we just did it in week spells at different places it was it was fantastic so mm-hmm. great advice sir tim um Look, we tried to avoid the C word and the P word on this podcast, COVID and pandemic, of course, not the other two. Um, but there's no avoiding it when you look at the impact it's had on growers and, and market garden farms and all sorts throughout the last sort of 18 months, really. So um, I know it's seen farms moving from supply and restaurants like Lawrence Soul Farm to veg boxes and, and many others um, and supplying direct to customers for obvious reasons, really. So I'd like to see if you, from the CSA's point of view, saw a massive uptake in that in farms. Yeah, short answer. (laughs) Done, next question. (laughs) Veg boxing generally, but particularly the CSA model. Um, I mean, it seems weird to think about it now, isn't it? But like last March, when suddenly you couldn't get any vegetables, like the supermarket shelves were empty of vegetables, fresh, fresh food. And suddenly there was this model that, provided that locally for everyone that wasn't really affected by those supply chain things in that in that um, supermarket system that just mm. makes sense so it's sort of overnight it, with with that pandemic at, at that crazy time I think it just demonstrated the resilience and the the, the, the beauty of the CSA model overnight in a way um, and so I know that waiting lists for CSA all over the country kind of soared any of that happened you know, weren't full, kind of filled up in a few days, I think, and then just had big waiting lists. Um, in terms of membership and the number of farms, what we found, we've been doing a bit of work over the winter and in the spring looking at, at this, and like we just found 
loads of new farms setting up um, and especially kind of CSA farms. So membership of the, the network, I know um, over a year, it, it pretty much doubled from wow. 80 kind of this last spring, spring 2020 to about 160 this spring. And we're now, I think about 180 members um, wow. plus those that aren't members of the network. There's probably about 220 farms now doing CSAs, feeding their local community, which is really amazing. Um, and in the face of the, some real challenges from COVID, it's, it's been a kind of an opportunity almost for the CSA model to, to kind of thrive and for people to kind of start up and, and either start a CSA or, or like you say, like Lawrence with Self Farm, kind of pivot what they were doing. There's some great examples of farms. Um, it's not a CSA, but another one that did that is Trill Farm in uh, Ash and the team at Trill Farm in, in Dorset. Like they mm. were like 90%, I think, selling to restaurants. And then they were like, wow, the restaurants have pulled out. That, that's most of their income. And we're able to pivot and do veg boxes um, and feed the local community, which I think is great. Personally, I think it's also great to, to sell to restaurants and, and we do as Team Greens in a little bit, but actually the real beauty is, is selling food, organic well, or sustainably grown food to your local community. There's nothing that can beat that, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. And COVID just allowed, allowed that to happen and, and to, to flourish, I suppose. Yeah, for, for those um, listening as well, is there is are there a map on your website for, so they can find one locally? Oh, Jack, it's like I've, it's like I've lined you up here, mate. It's great. <laughs> yeah, um, it's there, great. Is, there is. I would say, like anyone that's interested in finding their local CSA, either to, to, to kind of sign up as, as a customer or go and volunteer. Yeah, if you head to our website, which is community supported agriculture um, you can um, you can find a map. Just click on find a CSA, and you'll find a map of most of the CSAs, certainly all of our members. It's a little bit out of date at the moment, um, but we're gonna we're actually launching a new website in the autumn, so it'll be a bit more refreshed. But it's it's pretty good, I think. I'm sure. Um, we're we're certainly on there, <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah, not too out of date. Sure you guys on there? I didn't want to say like you weren't for whatever reason, but yeah. <laughs> so it's there, and it's a great resource, and you can find it out. And there's there's a little bit about each farm, and and I'd really encourage people if you're just not sure you know almost all csas have volunteers so go on the map give give them a drop them an email they often have volunteer days uh each week and you can just go along and that's the best way to just find out about the model and ask questions and maybe get sent home with some surplus veg as well yeah that's it (laughs) can always hope yeah chris um just like filled me in before the podcast that it's not just veg uh for CSA um, which I find so interesting and I'd like you to just fill us in what else there is that adopts the CSA model yeah so the beauty of the model it can kind of apply to, to anything where you have um, where you're kind of farming something really I guess you're, you're producing it doesn't have to be food uh, there's examples of CSAs that are um, fuel like kind of firewood CSAs for example where you kind of commit to a season of firewood um, we've got a great uh, new new member. They've been around a while, I think, but they're new to our network. Is the um, Micro Dairy in Stroud? Um, Stroud Micro Dairy. You can sign up for you know weekly dairy products, milk, and other stuff. There's a really cool farm. I can actually see it from outside of my window next door to me here. <laughs> I was chatting to them last week, and they're about to. It's their family farm, and they're doing regenerative sheep and kind of holistic grazing and all sorts of other stuff: sheep, chicken, eggs all on a, on a kind of mob grazing holistic system. They're setting up a, a kind of meat CSA. Um, yeah, and other people do it with a similar model for like flowers, there's like fiber, like even like wool and stuff, wool CSAs. There's a model that's kind of can apply to everything and it, and it kind of makes sense, right? If, you're, if you want that security and, and gives that connection for the consumer too, that's just so, so important. Yeah. I think it's giving the power back as well, isn't it? It seems to be, uh, like you've got a, you've set up with like a subscription model, so people know that they're definitely getting an income. But I think people like being a part of subscriptions as well. They they feel a, a lot more attachment than instead of it being corporate. It's like oh, I'm supporting a local business and I'm getting something really cool, with a lot of love uh, within it. And, and I'm I'm honestly like really really excited with that new like not just veg boxes but 
the flowers and, and things like that. And I'm sure that anyone listening, like if they are trying to set up a flower farm, I know some local girls who are trying to, they, they sell at the same market as me doing all cut flowers. And I think they'd be really interested in that model uh, for themselves. So yeah, I think it's really exciting news. I think you're bang on, Jack. And it, it, it's actually quite a radical way if you think about it it's like it's quite a radical movement like we're taking mm. back control when i say take back control it makes me think of brexit i had to <laughs> rewrite it in something i was doing for the new website and i said like, oh no it sounds like brexit but but we do need to <laughs> regain control of our food right and mm. and other stuff it's so important to us and in the last 40 50 years we've seen that system go towards a supermarket system which mm. doesn't benefit people it doesn't benefit the farmer who's getting up at six, five, four in the morning to grow that food, it just benefits the shareholders of the supermarket, right? Mm. It doesn't benefit the people that are eating it because it's crap and it hasn't got nutrients in it. It doesn't benefit, it certainly doesn't benefit the environment. Um, yeah, it's, let's, you know, it's a way that everyone can take back control, have a connection with their food, know where it comes from, know the impact that if you're going to spray a load of pesticides on something that it's just going to wipe out biodiversity, you know? Mm. It's, it, it just makes sense in every way to me. Um, yeah, I, I think to you, to you guys too. But Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you start appreciating as well um, how hard food is to grow as well. So when you do see like bundles and bu- like growers growing bundles and bundles of the same crop, but they're growing it in a good way, you're like, man, that's, that's absolutely cool. <laughs> I'm impressed sometimes when I see some of the big scale organic like broccoli and you know that, for example, if you grow broccoli in a garden you've got so many pests to deal with in a natural way so i'm always it it does make me appreciate other growers um yeah and i think the other thing it does i know this sounds silly because people are signing up to their veg but um and i know you guys you care a lot about this and it's about inspiring people to grow their own food like example down here in devon like we uh encourage our members to grow their own too and if we've got spare plants that we've planted tomatoes there's no room we'll put them down at the collection point i was at another csa down in leamington spa um called canal side which is brilliant uh, and they do that and there were loads of plants that they hadn't fit fit out and all, uh, their members were coming to pick up their veg at the time and just like loading them in to their cars and i just love that idea that you know we're not just growing food for people but we're enabling them to grow it themselves um, mm. it's brilliant it's really anti-capitalism, isn't it? Like you're just giving back and it's, it's the win really of them growing their own. If, if they leave the CSA because they've grown their own food, that's kind of like a goal in a way, mm-hmm. which is against everything that most businesses are set up to do. They don't want you to do what they're doing. Um, <laughs> but but we, we all need to grow to see the power of it and to ultimately... It, but it not just benefits us, community, it's planet positive as well. Um, so, yeah, there's only good things to come from it. We call it, here at the network, we call it the real food revolution site. <laughs> let's, let's have a revolution, let's start having real food growing ourselves, you know. Mm. Yeah, well, there's not, nothing else out there like that, is there, really? I mean, even if you go to, to a restaurant, it's very rare you get education alongside your food. It's very rare you understand exactly where that's come from. So it's it's super, super powerful. And and, and we've done even done that too. And like, I think our first boxes, when we start in, in sort of the early, in the hungry gap, they've got herb pots in them every week for a couple of weeks. I mean, there's the byproduct of that, that they're, let mar- <laughs> they're, they're branded up. So they're brand- our branding's on their window still all year but mm. that aside it's yeah giving them a, an opportunity to grow something of their own it helps us fill those boxes when it's difficult to fill them it's just yeah it's fantastic and and that is the ultimate ultimate goal we we, we had um, a volunteer who was also a box customer on our, on our csa came down and he said that he didn't know he was paying me the best compliment he could have paid but he said this is like when i lived in wales in the early 70s and half term was so that everyone could come and help the farmers harvest and he said that's what this farm feels like and i said that's exactly what we're trying to get back to and i think that the csa model and the relationship that it gives you with your customers um is exactly that it's going back to that yeah it's nothing new chris it's nothing new (laughs) it's how we used to do it but yeah. somehow as a as a society we've kind of drifted down this kind of because it's worked for supermarkets to sell stuff to us in plastic packaging that's grown in morocco or new zealand it's worked for them to do that and and 
yeah, yeah, it's going back to that connection. It's nothing new. It's how like our grandparents and great grandparents farmed. It's um, yeah, and that's what I love about it. It's like new and cool, but it's but it's not new. It's it's you know it's the way we're doing it. And it's the same with the with the farming methods. It's not just the model, but it's the the way we farm. You know, like didn't have tractors like back in the day. Maybe they. Mm maybe they plowed a bit more with horses and stuff but certainly didn't have chemicals to just chuck all over the place and 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 fertilizer it was kind of using like intri- like good rotations and like biodiversity to manage pests and stuff um and that's exactly what the csa model offers now today in 2021 Wonderful. It's amazing. And, and and if you want more information you mentioned before, um, if you want more information on CSA or how to join, or even if you're listening and you, you want a veg box or, or a firewood pack or, or a meat box, um, you can jump on the map on there. So it's communitysupportedagriculture.org.uk. Now, we can't let you go without talking to you about tea and greens. Um, so can you tell us a bit about your farm and how it all started for you? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, Teen Greens, uh, I love it. It's it's been a huge amount of my work when I've not been working for the CSA network. Uh, yeah, we started last summer during the pandemic. My partner Holly and I, um, we were kind of sort of volunteering on a farm down here, uh, but we also we were kind of here scoping out potentially setting up some kind of veg box scheme. And mm-hmm. we arrived on the farm like three days before lockdown, and then it wow. was crazy. Uh, so yeah today we've got about 50 bit like you about 55 we're just going up now because summer has meant you know we can, we've got a bit more produce coming in so we've got about 55 members went out this week uh hoping to get to about 80 to 100 by the end of the season um we were what i call a producer-led csa uh which i guess is how i describe you guys as well at fanfield farm in that we kind of make most of the decisions um rather than it being kind of run by the community itself but we are a social enterprise so it's sort of community owned we don't make a profit we just try and make enough money to pay ourselves uh, a sort of fair salary which we don't really succeed with at the moment um, <laughs> and it's great. well there's another thing i love about teen greens is, is it's kind of like a partnership so we partner with the host farm like joe and tina who own the farm are great um, and we effectively rent uh, a couple of fields about three acres and use of some machinery and a packing shed and an old cow shed um, as a sort of income share arrangement. But they've got other kind of things that happen at the farm that actually kind of benefit us as well. So there's like a a residential education project, kids come and stay on the farm for a week at a time with their school in tents and they'll work with us. So last week we had a load of kids out helping us weed the onions. Not sure if it was actually (laughs) good or or bad. (laughs) At one point I turned around and they were like, two teenage girls like wrestling in the shallops that weren't quite ready to harvest yet and I was like guys I know that looks fun but like yeah you've just ruined about 50 quid's worth of uh, shallops <laughs> but, but actually again it's another way that we can like help those kids have that connection with their food they might go yeah. home and, and you know want to grow stuff in their garden and that sort of thing planted a seed yeah plant the seed of something inspiring yeah um, <laughs> But it's great. And the other thing I'd say about Team Greens is just great being kind of connected through the CSA network with other CSAs down here. There's some other great ones uh, like Little Bishops, which started up this summer as well nearby. Uh, the school farm down in um, Totnes, which is great. And then there's Chag Food as well, which was a big inspiration to us. So Ed Hamer, I hope you guys get a chance to speak to him on, on this podcast at some point because he's a really inspiring guy uh, and they've been in CSA for about 10 years. So we stole basically most of their ideas. We <laughs> like spent quite a lot of time volunteering with them. Go, oh yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And like all their cropping plans and stuff for that. Like, I do. I do love that though. I mean, I don't think you see it too much in sort of bigger agriculture or certainly not because of the way people are, are almost played off each other in competing for supermarket traffic or or for for grants from the government and things but we were blown away because we moved down here there are a couple of other veg box schemes as you said locally to to us here everyone just wanted to come and 
say hi and and drop in and and offer advice um and it never felt like we were trying to take away any business from each other it's always been trying to take business from the supermarket so and everyone's just been amazingly helpful and lending equipment and everything i've just been blown away by that kindness between between sort of small scale growers really yeah it's collaboration and not competition i would say yeah really great farm in the valley here so we've got quite a like distinct geographical valley with a community within it of about three, 4,000 people. And there's a farm called Whipple Tree Farm, which is a brilliant kind of no-dig farm that was doing veg bags. And when we came here, I was like, oh no, they're doing veg bags already. I don't really want to step on their toes. And then we just gave them a ring and they went, no, great, like come over. And we just had a chat and they were like, oh, this is how we can collaborate. And wow. you know, that wouldn't happen in like, in with bigger farms or like more industrial stuff. I was on a Zoom call, uh, was doing like a workshop for, for the Landworkers Alliance around Elms and how that's going to replace uh, kind of subsidy and funding. Yeah. And there was one person on it who was from like a big established farm and we were all small farms, mostly like LWA members, small farms. And, and this guy was like, I can't believe you use how much you guys all collaborate. And like none of my peers in the way I farm would ever like come together and like share how they do stuff because it's competitive. And mm. I was like, yes, great. That's what it's going to be, right? That's it. So uh, have you taken things beyond organic on your farm to biodynamic? Is that right? Yeah, we have. So again, like, I can't take too much credit for it. Um, <laughs> we sort of inherited that. Like Joe Clark, who owns a farm, is really kind of inspiring. He's got a background in biodynamics. He used to be like a, a, a gardening teacher, actually, in a Steiner school, which is kind of linked to biodynamics through uh, Rudolf Steiner. So, yeah, we're under conversion. We'll be fully biodynamic next July. And we're, um, yeah, we're organic at the moment. Um, so that's a whole nother level, which I, which I really like. I didn't know a huge amount about biodynamics before I came. Um, I thought maybe it was a bit airy-fairy or, or <laughs> kind of a bit out there. But the more I learn about it, the more I kind of appreciate it. Um, and it all makes sense. You know, we do various compost preparations and spraying that around the farm. Um, and it makes sense like biologically to like spray kind of fertility and stuff around the farm but it also makes sense to me about there's something in the biodynamics that's about setting in like an intention for what you're doing there's a spirituality to it that you know you don't have to believe in the cosmic rays necessarily but to believe in like by doing this or by doing this stirring I'm like setting an intention I'm stopping and we all know that like when you're out especially this time of year, it can just feel like you don't stop. Feel <laughs> yeah, what's around. stopping? <laughs> but then you stop and you have to stir this barrel of water and cow poo and stuff for an hour. It's like you kind of have to do it. And then that gives space to be like, okay, that's why I'm doing this. And that for me personally is important. No, I'm, I'm into the esoteric, the airy fairy as well. There's, there's, a, there's a lot we don't know. And there's always things that it... it it makes you feel better if you do them like oh, I'll talk to the plants or when they're at the baby stage or play like Beethoven to them and stuff just because of old techniques of if you hear it if it if it's anything to benefit the plants I'm into it I'll, I'll give it all a go I'll throw it for everything okay and I think having like the biodynamic moon calendars makes a lot of sense to me considering how it affects water and us and plants are made of water and yeah the other, just, thing, the other thing about that i think about biodynamics again some of it is is kind of a bit more esoteric but a lot of it is just going back to how we used to farm 100 years exactly. ago like planted yeah. by the moon of course it makes sense yeah there's a gravitational pull we have tides it does stuff to the planet um, and i really like that about it it's a return it's new but it's a return to like the old and that way worked for hundreds of years thousands of years probably so yeah there's a value to that Love it. And that's a bit of permaculture as well, of observing the farm. Like As we said about us going so fast, to stop, look and observe your land and how those are affected by it. Um, That's what I I do like biodynamic. I need to get into it a bit more. I do have like an app for moon planting, Mm -hmm. which always kind of seems, every app seems different, um, probably due to time zones and stuff. Never really nailed it, but the whole apogee days where you just don't dig at all to i don't know if i've got that right but yeah it's like a negative effect on the soil yeah i don't know what it's called but yeah we have days that we try not to do anything yeah yeah to the to the to the, to the soil basically mm, interesting call them gray days because they're gray on the calendar but 
Well, it's just having that intent. You said stopping. I mean, I don't think we, and you know, setting up and, and, and Jack, you know, I know how busy you are as well. Stopping isn't a thing. It just isn't a thing at this time of the season. So to have that as part of your process is just, I can't, I can imagine how important that is. And again, something I'd love to look into more as we get more established and set up because I would love to stop, <laughs> stop and breathe and observe a little bit more. Another tip, so I remember someone, when I, I actually studied horticulture before I ended up here for six months, I did a, like a residency at basically Schumacher College, which is really great. Oh, yeah. You're looking Fantastic to learn place. The skills needed, I spent six months there doing a practical horticulture residency. I recommend it a lot. Mm. Um, but I remember someone there saying, right, if you're like planting, if you're doing anything in the market garden, make sure you stop and look up every 10 minutes or something, 10, 15 minutes. Because we were work, I was sort of volunteering one day a week there on, a, on a, another another biodynamic farm actually called the Apricot Centre, another great place. And it's got a lovely view over like the Devon kind of hills. And like realised that you kind of don't even know, when you're really like head down planting out 5,000 brassicas, you don't look up. And then suddenly, mm. sort of, even if it's just for a moment, you're like appreciate, you're appreciating the beauty around you. And that's kind of why, it's one of the reasons why we're all doing it, right? Um, yeah. To appreciate that and be outside in nature and not stuck behind the desk. Computer. certainly it's too easy to go back to to those sort of habits of, of, of yeah hustle or overworking and yeah mm-hmm. it's easy to do so i'm not going to say the words again but how has teen greens obviously set up over the last year but you've seen an impact from the the pnc words as well yeah what's p pandemic yeah <laughs> yeah uh yeah like big basically I, i'd like to think actually because we've all we've had a waiting list pretty much since we set up like we've kind of grown in size but we've always had a waiting list and i'd like to think after that initial flurry which in a way like i said presented an opportunity uh, i'd like to think we'd have done it anyway because the community locally is is great uh, as in i'd like to think we'd have had the same success because they just people want to connect with their food right mm. um, and and they, people more care a lot more about the climate than they did. They understand some of the challenges. There's loads of headlines coming out about how bad some of the conventional, in inverted commas, uh, farming is. And and they want an alternative, and we can offer that. Um, and so, yeah, it, I think it probably initially gave a boost. But actually now, I'd like to think that it's actually people wanting to have something different, um, you know, separate from, from the C and the P words. Mm-hmm. Um, wanting that connection you know there was a brilliant farmers market that started up as well in the valley um when the first lockdown hit that we haven't been a part of just because we've been focusing on the csa model but other like local meat farmers flour people um bakers kind of come together and that's thriving now every saturday and again i'd like to think it's because people want that connection with their food and it's not just um you know it's not just because of covid and like you know the supermarkets are back right and you know any food supply chain stuff is is fixed more or less bar a bit of brexit madness but um yeah and i think um yeah people just care it does yeah. seem that, doesn't it? I mean, I, I, I like the feeling that there, there are silver linings and there are some nice things that have come out of a really horrid year. Um, but I do think, and I think going forward, there's, there's a lot of promise for, especially this, this sort of um, way of, of thinking about our food going forward. And I hate to use the word millennials, but that group of people and, and younger seem to have a lot more intent. They seem to have a more of an understanding. They more care about the world and more active, certainly more active in campaigning for, for the climate and, and good food and those sorts of things. So I think it can only go from strength to strength, the models that we've talked about today, which I think is, yeah, something that can make us all feel good. And, and, and also if we've got listeners who are thinking maybe this is the way to go, well, I think it could be for a long, long time. I don't think it's suddenly going to die a death when we've stopped talking about COVID. I agree with you totally, Chris. Yeah, I think it's just um, it's just here. I mean, climate <laughs> climate change <laughs> is, is kind of sadly is only going to go in one way uh, for the foreseeable future, and and people it will just increase people's desire to to live their life a bit more differently and a bit more um, live a bit more gently on this earth, you know. Um, so I can only see it going one way for the CSA model, but for also small farming. And what we're seeing now, which is really interesting, is is for the first time, obviously, we all know this movement's been going on for a long time and it's accelerated quite a lot recently, but you're seeing like big 
government and other people starting to talk about it and like commissions and there was like you know actually it's it's the big establishments that are now starting to talk about regenerative farming and how we need to have small scale farming. you know prince charles was on you know the radio the other day talking about how small family farms a bit like csa's are, are the future um mm. uh, and <laughs> we'll only do it and then so so prince charles is saying it yeah like obviously it's getting somewhere the message is, is getting somewhere people are getting it I, I nearly fell off my seat when I saw Jeremy Clarkson start a rewilding project in the middle of his farming duty. So I just could not believe it from a man like that. But yeah, it's certainly going somewhere if, if he thinks that it's good TV. So there yeah. we go. A- anything's possible now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also as well, Netflix. Uh, uh, what was it? Kiss the ground on net was on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, and and f- you've got Big Little Farm, but these actual documentaries people are watching that I know don't even farm and they've seen them and they're understanding they're hearing the words no till no dig regenerative agriculture etc mm-hmm. etc et so yeah it's in the ethos now i remember um, when i done my permaculture course in 2016 no one had ever heard of permaculture and now if you look at the instagram hashtag it's over a million hashtags just for permaculture but, and that was two years ago when i looked at that um mm-hmm. so yes it's even more now so it's on the upturn um, so this is only going to get bigger and bigger uh, as time goes on. Uh, I mean, let's fingers crossed. Uh, and also these movements, permaculture, etc., are more resilient. So we can have more resilient farms against weather, etc. So we just got to set ourselves up. And the more we do in that, as time goes on, and you've got your perennial crops in or a small food forest, and that's developing, that's going to be your backup when the market garden's getting either eaten by slugs, flooded, or whatever else. <laughs> it certainly is. It's, it's going to be a powerful movement, and, and I'm so glad that there's there's lots of us, or, or at least a number of us, enough and enough of us for us to do a podcast on it anyway. <laughs> we can't let you go, though, Tim, without doing our quick-fire questions. Every guest has to answer them. So I'm going to put you on the spot here with, what's your favourite tool on the farm? Uh, I was kind of prepared for this. Am I... <laughs> So I was going to say hurry, my hurry, hurry knife. Have you guys yes. got a hurry, hurry? Yeah, you got yeah. one for my birthday last month and I'm blown away. I love it. My fiance gave me one when I started horticulture college. And yeah, it can be a trowel, it can be a knife, it can measure. I used it today. I was doing some irrigation and like, yeah, some stuff with some 20 mil poly pipe and it wasn't fitting. I was able to measure the diameter of the pipe with the hurry, hurry. I was like, oh, this is just, this is the tool. Uh, so yeah, I'd say I'd say hurry, hurry. If I'm allowed to, ooh, <laughs> go on, go, go on. on. Okay, I'm going to go with it anyway. <laughs> like, yeah, it's the Wolf Garden system. Like, do you guys have the Wolf Garden system for it's like um, oh. the tools, basically hand tools? So it's oh, they're the clicking heads. Is that right? Yeah, clicking, quick click. I don't know what it's called, yeah. but um, yeah. So I've got handle. And then I can go into the field with my handle that's exactly the right height for me and like five or six different heads that just click in. So I don't have to carry like six things out mm. into the field. I've got my hoe, I've got a 15 centimetre hoe, 20 centimetre hoe rake all in one. And it's just, yeah. oh, it's a game changer. I'll never forget that someone recommended it to me a couple of years ago. I was like, wow, oh, this just makes sense. Yeah, I've seen them about and you see, I, I mean, you're even seeing them in almost every garden centre now and you just think and the amount, and I'm always blown away by that they seem to have more um, different attachments for that that do different things than they do actually have tools on the wall because yeah. they're just more available, even little like manual tilthers and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. I've got the tilther too. I don't use it very often, uh, but yeah. Is it, is it the red and yellow one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, just because it was in a garden centre, I was never too sure how the, the quality was. So it's really good to get recommendations. It's, really it's a bit more expensive. I mean, obviously, paying for tools, you want to pay a bit more money, but it's really worth it. But then if you actually add up, yeah, the, often the heads are about 15, 20 quid. Online, it's best. There's a World of Wolf is the website. If you look that up, I recommend it massively. That's great. That's great. Right. Second one is um, a crop you like to grow, but doesn't make you much money. Oh, yeah. Uh, most of it's interesting because of the CSA. It's like I'm not standing on a market stool trying to sell expensive stuff. And, and, and we, we try not to buy in. Last winter, I think we bought in some potatoes because ours ran out. 
So we don't really have that value thing. It's hard to say. Um, I, I would say probably something like spuds or yeah. root crops because on other stuff, as you know, you can kind of compete with um, bigger scale, even bigger scale organic because they, can, they can't do it with, with machinery. But with spuds, you know, we've got a great organic farm down the road that's on, you know, 50, 60 acres and they've got a big machine that will lift spuds, clean them, sort them, brush them, put yeah. them in a sack. And we have to do that by hand. So I'd probably say, much as I love them, like main crop potatoes. Yeah, great shout. It's the same on our farm. I mean, we can get organic potatoes from down the road for 70p a kilo. And yeah. I think I've done the sums and I can't grow them for that really. <laughs> um, with it, When you take into account all the, all the work that goes into it. So Yeah, it's hard. It's just that labour, isn't it, right? When you're trying mm. to do it against the tractor and you need to do everything and store it. Yeah. 60p here and i just can't we can't compete with it. but we do it anyway as much as we can yeah is that's what csa is right we're trying to do a, a share for everyone so the next one up is your favorite farm hack oh i forgot this one i think <laughs> at I least think, we had one you hadn't yeah. heard <laughs> i should have so this is what i think i realized as i was saying that the wolf garden because that's kind of like a hack isn't it it's like having a tool a handle with lots of other other heads Ooh. it is but we're going to push you for another one i want to say like gravity fed we've got quite an intricate gravity fed irrigation system we're quite lucky that mm. we've got like a a well the kind of our partner farmer landlord dug a deep kind of pond at the top we're on quite a steep slope south facing slope and he dug a deep pond and a well at the top we've managed to kind of run a lot of irrigation pipes off that that feed most of the beds and wow. being able to do that without using any mains or pumps is quite cool yeah so probably say that and actually we even have a solar pump which pumps up water from a pond lower down that refills the pond at the top when it's sunny um and that's going whenever it's sunny um which is kind of when we need the water so yeah mm. off grid as well that's great yeah, love that I adore that. I've seen that in, um, I visited a lot of the um, bodegas. Oh, I've probably said that with the worst accent of all time, but um, yeah, I've just lost the word for what, uh, vineyards um, in Lanzarote in the Canary Islands. And obviously they have a lot of difficulty to deal with because they get a, a red hot wind coming across from sort of the African coast and things. But they're, all of their, um, their vineyards are across the backs, the, the south sides of hills, um, and they use the the water from the mountains. And they've basically years and years and years ago dug um, sort of trenches that go round and round the mountain from the top, where there would be natural rain that we, they don't experience. And then it runs down through these trenches, and it almost runs into each of the little circles that have a grapevine within them. And wow. I just I'm in awe of that and considering I've spent quite a lot of time trying to, cause we don't have that, that luxury here of having any sort of gravity fed system and, and having to design pumps and then having to work out what pumps we can use with the solar system we have, cause we are off grid. And just, if you've got that potential to, to have gravity fed irrigation, I'm very jealous. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Comes with its own challenges being on a slate. That's really true. Very it's true. It's heavy clay. So at least it drains fairly quicker than it would if it's flat i know you you guys have quite or chris you certainly have yeah clay that's quite flat isn't it i think there. yeah yeah it's pretty flat and pretty heavy clay and it and it's been degraded for 30 years before us so um we've got challenge. everyone has challenges though right right so the least favorite crop your least favorite oh that's uh yeah another tricky one there's a few <laughs> um <laughs> i hate climbing beans I just, I find, <laughs> I find, and that's probably also one that's not a great value when you're putting in out of time to, to grow them, to support them and to harvest them. So mm. I think climbing French beans this year, I didn't, we haven't really done, I just got dwarf varieties of everything. Yeah. Inspired by Chag feed. So I've got dwarf French beans, got dwarf bolotti beans. I accidentally sowed some like climbing peas, but the others are all dwarfs and it works beautifully, but I, climbing beans people love them and then picking them takes forever it's not for me really. yeah <laughs> so i love eating them but i don't this yeah my probably my least favorite crop 
right. depends as well if you uh, grow. What I've noticed as well is gro- growing like I grew purple peas this year. Same with green beans, I suppose, on the um, on pole beans. But you're missing them because of the colour. Mm. Because like that's why I grew but the purple peas. I grow I love, but there was a few green ones in the mix, and you just didn't even see them, and then they grow yeah. massive. I think you need uh, to go through and do. Th- I kind of get. We kind of do it, and then someone else covers. It's a waste of time, really. That shouldn't have to do this, but then someone else goes through, and you're always missing. We go back the other way. You go back up the line, and there's loads from a different angle that are hiding behind a leaf. Yeah. Put my head in. <laughs> We're on to the last question. It's the question everyone wants to know the answer to. Do you prefer a walk around the farm in the morning with a coffee or a tea, or in the evening with a nice cold beer? Do you know what? This is one of the best questions. And I've been <laughs> to other episodes and thinking, I've put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> um, and I'm sitting with a beer now because you're always talking about beer in the podcast. So I was like, <laughs> the amount of times I've been listening to you guys, and you're like, oh, we've got a beer. And Alex has got a beer. And you're like, okay, I really want a beer now. I'm sat here. But no, I've been thinking about it a lot, guys, and I'd say coffee in the morning. I just love that calm. Uh, I quite like, especially on a Monday, beginning of the week, I get there before anyone else and any of the team. Mm. And I get a coffee and walk around because I just like, I like that piece. And I like to just think I'm a potterer. So you can potter with coffee. And think. You can do that with a beer too, but often, yeah. I like a beer at the end of the day when work's finished and we can just sort of sit down and sound a beer. But yeah, coffee for me, gratitude. There you go. I'm glad you thought about it for ages as well. <laughs> I imagine there's hundreds of like kind of thousands of growers listening to this right now, trying to work out what their answer is. We, we've been, we've been, had farms taking picture of when they're having a beer or a coffee and sending us their answer on Instagram. It's been great this week just to see it. So if you are one of those, then please do send them in. Yeah, we do love it. I enjoyed that yesterday. The, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the thinking of a beer at the end of the day. Gascoigne farm wasn't it yeah that's right yeah. and they even tagged Peroni in it so hopefully sponsorship deal on the way <laughs> <laughs> that would be dangerous yeah but Tim thanks so much for your time we've taken up a fair bit of it so I'm really appreciate you coming on and talking about the CSA and also Team Greens um, I really really appreciate it so thank you mate thanks chaps really great to be on and I think uh, what you guys are doing with podcasts is brilliant anything that kind of connects all of us and what we're trying to do and, and spread that word is is really admirable so yeah thanks for your efforts oh, cheers awesome, mate. mate cheers great to chat that's wonderful thanks mate So if you're listening, we do need a favor from you this week. We just ask you to pop over to our Instagram or any social media, find us at Food Grower Academy. That's the one thing we're going to ask from you this week. And it, whilst you're there, do send us whether you'd like your beer or your coffee or your tea <laughs> and maybe a picture. We uh, wouldn't mind a sponsorship deal with a beer company, I'm sure. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Bye.